And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake unto you in the mount out of the midst of the fire. And here it is, in the day of the assembly. We're moving from there to the book of Judges, chapter number 20. The book of Judges, chapter number 20, and verse number 1, and verse number 2. Judges, chapter 20, and verse number 1, and verse number 2. Then all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation was gathered together as one man, from Dan even to Beersheba, with the land of Gilead under the Lord in Mizpah. And then verse 2 of Judges 20 will make another reference to the gathering of God's people. And the chief of all the people, even of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 footmen that drew sword. 1 Kings chapter number 8 and verse 14. I put these in chronological order so you only have to go in one direction. But I can't help you speed up. That's, that's just the way it is. I have the advantage. I wrote mine out. But 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 14. But it is good to hear the pages of God's Word turning. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 14. The Bible said, And the king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel. And then, and all the congregation of Israel stood. Twice the congregation. Congregation. Congregate. Come together. Okay? First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse number 8. This is the last Old Testament reference. We'll move to the New Testament from First Chronicles 28 and verse number 8. The Bible said, Now therefore, in the sight of all the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that ye may possess this good land, and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. These four Old Testament passages mention the word assembly, the words gathered, and the word congregation. All of these words are talking about God's people Israel being in a place, being in a location as we are this morning. They are gathered together. Now we'll go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 20. And you're going to be looking for the words gathered and the words among the people gathered together, coming together. You're going to be looking for the words in the church or words such as the whole church together. All of these references are talking about God's people, the church meeting together. In Matthew 18 and verse number 20, the Bible said, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. A very misquoted verse often used when nobody shows up for prayer meeting. They use this verse where two or three show up. This is talking about church discipline, but it is talking about the church being together. Then we go to the book of Acts, 
chapter number 5 and verse number 12, it says, And the hands of the apostles, and by the hands of the apostles, were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Like we would say today that the Western North Church is inside this building. We've gathered in here to meet. That's what was happening in Acts 5, 12. And then we're going to read several verses. 1 Corinthians, we'll read about four or five verses from 1 Corinthians. We begin in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4 and 5. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Again, the church is gathered for the purpose of disciplining uh, believers. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, For first of all, when ye come together in the church, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Again, Paul's dealing with the divisions there at the Lord's Supper, but he makes the statement, when ye come together. In chapter 14, verse 19, where Paul is dealing with the misuse of spiritual gifts, he is saying in verse 19 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Yet in the church, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And then verse 23, right below that, in the same chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place. So there, there are the verses. Now, Colossians, let me give you three more verses. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. The words are not used here, but this cannot happen without us being together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul told Timothy, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Again, the church must be assembled for that to take place. And then one you're most familiar with, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So there are numerous passages. I could read three times that in the Old Testament repeatedly, but just enough so you will know that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God designed for His people, for God's people to meet together. They assembled. They assembled at Sinai. They assembled in other locations. Kings called them together. They assembled when the foundation of the temple was laid. God's people met together. They assembled together. They were congregated. They are called the congregation of the Lord. 
in the New Testament, nothing has changed. He says that they gathered together. Paul repeats it often in the book of 1 Corinthians about when you gather, what you do when you gather, how you conduct yourself when you come together in corporate worship, in church discipline, or in times where we come together just to exhort one another in the faith. Last Sunday we looked at who gathers in corporate worship from Ephesians 2 and 1 Peter 2. And I read the word repeatedly, the word us, that Paul used to emphasize that there was a time when we were not a people and we did not assemble with God's people, but now we are a people and we meet with the people of God. Why did the lost nations in the Old Testament not assemble with the nation of Israel? Because they were not God's people. Why do people today not assemble with the local church and choose to disassociate themselves from the local church? The answer is the same, because they do not belong to Christ through saving grace. John the Apostle said, we sometimes look at people and we wonder why they disassociate themselves from the church. And John said, they went out from us because they were not of us. John said, if they had been of us, they would doubtless be gathered with us. Church, is not that complicated. I understand there are situations where people's attendance and people's faithfulness may lapse from time to time, but those who are committed to disassociating themselves with the gathering of God's people are testifying by their absence that they are not the people of God. Why we gather in corporate worship? Why do we gather? Why has God ordained it this way? Why did God ordain that His people in the Old Testament meet on certain feast days and in certain solemn assemblies? Why did God ordain and arrange all of that in the Old Testament? He did so because He had a purpose, and that purpose was that they be edified and that He be glorified. Why does God ordain that you and I, why does God command that you and I not forsake the assembling like we're doing this morning? Why does the Lord say that? Why does God choose that you and I gather? And I want to remind you today, this is not our plan, this is God's plan. Man did not come up with what we do on the Lord's Day. Now man has come up with a lot of stuff that a lot of people do on the Lord's Day, but our gathering here together on the Lord's Day, that is God's plan. He initiated that, He wrote that in His Word, and He commands that in His Word. So this is not our plan, this is God's plan. But what are God's purposes for our being here? What are His priorities for us being here? I had a lengthy conversation, lengthy conversation yesterday with a former graduate of our school of ministry, a preacher, who is trying to pastor and bring a church back in line with the Word of God. And he called to ask me this basic question, why don't they want to do what I'm preaching? And I said, brother, if I had that answer, I said, we'd all whip me and you'd be millionaires. I'd write a book and we'd settle it all. But here's the reason. You're taking them to God and they don't want to go. And the reason they don't want to go is they would rather have a church that emphasizes what they prioritize rather than what God prioritizes. We find in the Scripture very clearly, and we're going to look at it this morning, and again, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, at the very reason that we gather. 
Why do we gather in corporate worship? What is it that we're supposed to be doing when we are gathered here? What do we do when we gather? Then what do we do when we scatter? And I submit the reason the church is failing in what we're doing when we leave is because we're failing in what we're doing when we're here. We must do what God said do when we're here in order to have strength and the vision and the desire to do what He asks us to do when we part. So we're gathered for His purposes. I read you in Deuteronomy 9.10, I read you in the Old Testament, we see Israel gathered there at Mount Sinai and uh, to hear God's law. And Moses referred to it as the day of assembly. When you take that word assembly in the Old Testament, it's the same word that we get in the New Testament that I mentioned weeks ago, the church, the called out assembly. That's what God was doing, was calling out the nation of Israel to come to Him. And we are the called out assembly of God. He called us out of sin into Himself. He calls us to be separated from this world. And we are the church, the called out assembly of God. It means we stand together as God's chosen people. We stand together as God's redeemed people. We stand together as God's anointed, God's adopted family. We stand together as, as sinners that are now regenerated and born from above. We are different from this world. So why do we gather? Why does God call us to gather like we are this morning? I touched on this last Sunday, but I want to mention it again this morning. First of all, we gather to make ourselves visible to ourselves. When we gather in corporate worship, we become conscious of one another. Now, I come through this building probably a dozen, maybe a, two dozen times a week. I come in, I'm in this building more when it's empty than I am on the Lord's Day morning. And sometimes I'll sit over here, I'll just come and sit down over here, and I'll sit down over here, and I just look back, and of course this has all been disrupted over the past couple years, but before the past couple years, I could about, I know where about every, everyone sits. Fifteen years ago, I didn't even know where I was supposed to sit, but I've been here long enough now that I, that I did know two years ago. Now, I, I don't know, everybody's kind of shuffled around or whatever. I thought about moving the pulpit to the back and preaching backward one Sunday to, so you'll know how I feel up here. But, I, but I'm, I'm familiar with people, and sometimes I, I look at where you sit. I think about you. I become conscious of you. But when I see you here on the Lord's day, then I become very conscious. You should be the same of those around you, of your brothers and sisters in Christ. If the church never gathers, then we do not become conscious of each other. We make ourselves visible to each other when we assemble. How often in the, in the epistles did Paul make reference to this, that I, I, I long to come and see you, or I want to be with you. He told the Corinthians, he said, I'd like to winter with you on one occasion. I just read it a while ago, his words to Timothy, till I come, till I get to see you, Timothy, here's what you do. It is like Paul is always wanting to be able to gather with the people of God. He actually tells the Corinthians that they're to keep giving their offerings. He tells them that in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, now you folks give like you're supposed to give on the first day of the week. He says this, that there be no gatherings when I come. In other words, make sure you give so I don't have to play usher when I get there and we have to go collect that. He is always looking to be 
together with God's people. And that's the way it should be with us. This is, not a, this is not a chore. This is not a bore. Thank God this is a blessing. It's when we become visible to each other. We become visible to ourselves. We are those whom God has redeemed. A community of people dependent upon the grace of God. If I were not here this morning, I'd never be able to see what I see. I'd never be able to know what I know. You say, preacher, what do you see? You might ask. Let me just tell you what I see when I look across this congregation this morning. What do you see? I see young families with new children who are going to need God's saving grace. Do you see that? I see families here, some who are here, who are struggling with grief. I see some of our families and some of our believers and members who are absent this morning because of grief. I see empty pews where faithful members of this church once sat but are now confined to home or in assisted living or nursing care. I see that when I look across this congregation. I still know where they sat. I know where they used to sing in this, in this choir. I saw some of them last week and week before last. Some of them are home in a bed or a recliner. Others are in facilities. Do you see that? When you, we, see, we make ourselves visible to each other when we gather together. I see parents who are burdened over the spiritual condition of their children. During Sunday school, I saw adults, young people, and children sitting, listening, learning, and growing in their knowledge of God's Word. I just heard a choir of my brothers and sisters in Christ sing together. I just sang with you, uh, fulfilling Colossians 3.16, singing together and giving God glory. We sang praise to Him for being our great God and for being the one who holds us fast. we just done that together. I, I could have sung that at home by myself, but it just isn't the same. God designed that we be gathered together. What do you see? I hear people singing. I heard people share prayer requests this morning. I saw people give their offering when they came in the door. I heard a while ago as I was reading Scripture, I heard your, the pages of your Bible turning. I also saw some fingers and thumbs working on the electronic stuff, so I'll give you credit. But I, I seen that you were reading the Word of God along with me as I was presenting the Word unto you. I have in past days and will again in the near future see you as we share the bread and the juice together in the Lord's Supper. In the near future, we'll see as we sit together when new believers are baptized in Christ. What do you see? When we gather together, we make ourselves visible to one another. And I hope by God's grace, if you look around and see what used to be a visible brother and sister who no longer is visible, that you will love them and be concerned enough to ask where or why. It's not always the case. And by the way, let me tell you, the preacher can't see everything. Brother, you can't see it all. One man can't see it all. But we're a body trying to look after each other. Let me be clear. You do not see those things when you forsake the assembly and gathering together of God's people. Not one member of this church who is inactive and hasn't been here in two years understands one iota about what I just described. They don't know who's missing. They don't know who's grieving. You say, well, they read that in the paper. It's not the same thing. 
Brother, it's one thing to read in the paper that someone's child or someone's parents passed away. It's another thing to sit in a Sunday school class or in a men's circle of prayer and see them and listen to them pour out their grief and their need of being prayed for. That comes when we gather together as God's people. When you see each other, it should stir your love. It should stir your concern. And it should stir your care. Why? Because this is the people for whom Christ died. It causes us to want to pray for one another. This is the people for whom Christ shed His blood. We sang about that just a moment ago. And if you truly believe the Bible and what the Bible says about the local church and its membership and the fact that we're a part of the body of Christ, you will want to be willing to commit to a covenant relationship and a responsibility to this church that helps this church be visible to you. In summary... You are God's people if you've been saved, and you are the people that are committed to pray for me, to love me, to care for me, to help me recover when I sin and fall, and point me to Christ. And you're going to have to do that over and over and over again. And I'm going to have to do the same with you. Well, preacher, if somebody messes up, I give them two shots and I'm done with them. Then you don't know anything about our Lord and what He said about forgiveness Peter tried that junk on Jesus one day, and Jesus said to him, He said, How many times, Peter, how many times did I? And the Lord looked at him and said, Seventy times seven. In other words, Peter, you're going to be forgiven men as long as you're here on the face of God's earth, and so are we. We're going to have to love each other repeatedly. We're going to have to forgive each other repeatedly. We're going to have to be patient toward each other repeatedly, over and over and over again, because we are the body of Christ. No preacher, no evangelist, no revival meeting, no Bible conference, no camp meeting, no jubilee, no parachurch ministry or anything else has ever done for me what gathering together with God's people every Lord's Day does for me. You say, how can you say that, preacher? Because God commanded that I be here with you, and He's got more sense about His church than you and me. Now that's the bottom line, and that's why we are gathered. And if someone asks you, why do you go to church? The great answer is because the Lord told me to go to church. I need to, but even when I don't think I need to, I must, because God knew what I needed more than I did. So first of all, we gather to make ourselves visible to ourselves. Secondly, turn with me to Ephesians 3, and we'll read here. Ephesians 3, it was in Ephesians 2 last Sunday. Go to Ephesians 3, and I want to read verse 8 through verse 11. And the second thing I want to mention this morning is we gather not only to make ourselves visible to one another, but we gather to communicate God's wisdom. Now this, this one blew my this one has just overwhelmed me. I, I wished I had the ability to preach this like it's in my it's in my heart. Second, we gather to communicate God's wisdom. Listen to what Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to verse 8 through verse 11. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, 
and to make all men see. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now here it is, verse 10, to the intent. In other words, Paul said he has saved me and he has saved us as believers to the intent for the purpose that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Why does God gather us here on Sunday? First of all, so we're visible to ourselves. We know who we are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But He gathers us here together today so we can communicate the mystery of His great grace to the angelic beings and the heavenly realms. Listen, nobody out here may give a flip what we're doing on Sunday, but I promise you when the church of the living God gathers on the Lord's day, heaven notices. And the angels in heaven notice. Paul says, to the intent, or so that the manifold or the many-sided aspects of God's wisdom might be made known to the angelic host in the heavenly realm. And God does that through His church through the assembly, through our gathering together. In other words, this new relationship between Jew and Gentile who are now both saved and brothers and sisters in Christ is recognized in heaven when God gathers His church together. I remember, I remember hearing Dr. John Phillips say this one time here at the Bible conference years ago. He was talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness. And if you, if you studied that and we have went through that when we preached through most of the, of the early books of the Old Testament back several years ago on Sunday nights, if you go back and look, that tabernacle where God's glory was and His presence was, that thing was beautiful on the inside, the, the purples, the blues, the golds. I mean, every detail was on the inside. It was, it was brilliant, in the show, and the glory of God was all over it. But on the outside, if you remember, the tabernacle was old brown badger skins. That's all that it was. So when any uh, Canaanite or Hittite or whoever the ite they were, when they would come out down there and Israel would be camped down there, they'd look at that old thing and they'd say, what is attractive about that? What in the world are they doing on the inside of that old brown, ugly badger skin? Oh, if they could have only opened up the door and seen the beauty of it. The same way sinners look at Calvary. Why are them people over there at West Sonora, why are they singing about that slaughter pen religion, that bloody mess on Calvary? They're looking at it from the fleshly side, from the massacre on the outside. Oh, if they could only see the beauty of saving grace, and if they could only see the glory that we have within us today because of what Christ has done for us. When we gather, the heavenly realms begin to see the mystery of what God's done in saving both Jew and Gentile. I don't know. I don't know. Peter talks about angels desiring to look into things. I don't, we come in here thinking it's just Sunday morning. I ain't going to church. What do I need church for? I'm saved. I believe in eternal security. I'm going to heaven when I die. They'll shout it out when I die, whether I've been in church the last 20 years or not. Why am I? We gather today, and the heavenly realms look in here and look down and think, what in the world? The great mysteries of Almighty God. Sadly, getting up on Sunday morning and making yourself come to church may mean little or nothing to you. 
But I want to tell you, it means something to God in the heavenly realms. His Son and the principalities and powers in heavenly places. When it comes to where you go to church, what church you are a part of, what church you join, what church you covenant your love and responsibilities with, I was taught that you find your crowd. And you've probably heard preachers say that. That's not biblical. What they meant by that is, uh, if you like bluegrass gospel, find a church that plays bluegrass gospel. Or if you like your preacher to spit, find a spitting preacher church. If you like your preacher to be calm and collective, find a calm, find your group. When I got born into this world, God did not give me the option of finding my group. God put me in the home of Jake and Shirley Seyfried with a sister. I didn't have a choice. She was already there. I couldn't do anything about it. I didn't have a choice. He put me in the family where He wanted me. When you get born again, that's really the way it ought to be where you worship God. It's not that we find our little crowd. No, it is that we assemble with people of like precious faith. And that doesn't mean that we will eat everything they eat. It doesn't mean we will enjoy everything they enjoy. Or it doesn't even mean that everybody in that assembly will act the same way. What it means is we're with that group of people that God wants us to be with. Church is more than finding a group of people who think like you, look like you, and act like you, or come from the same cultural background you came from. The church should be a strange mixture of people that causes us to say only God's grace can put that church together and only God's grace can keep it together. That's the church. If you look at it in Jerusalem, if you look at it in Ephesus, Philippi, if you look at it in Rome, Galatia, Corinth, if you look at it, that's the way the church was. A strange mixture of people. I hope you're getting the picture. The better we understand the significance of our gathering, the more biblical our corporate worship will be. Now, what do you think the heavenly realm would think if they looked down today and said, Look, look. They're all middle-class Republicans driving Toyotas. Look, do you think heavens, you think that would stir heaven? The realm of heaven says, I don't understand that. There's a banker sitting with a former bootlegger. I don't understand that. There's a kid who was so squeaky clean that they never had to wonder where he was. They could hear him squeak when he walked. And he's sitting on the pew singing, He will hold me fast with a young person who's been on drugs and is now saved. The heavenly realm don't understand that. That's the grace of God. And that's what the church is. It is a portrait of God's grace. Now, naturally, when we all live within 50 miles of each other, we're going to have a lot of similarities because of our culture and our climate. But we are not bound by our culture and our climate. Thank God we are held together by the saving grace of Almighty God. We gather to make ourselves visible to ourselves, and we gather in order that the heavenly realm, God's wisdom, is communicated back to the heavenly realm. You know, with everything you buy these days, one of the first things you do, first thing you do with about everything you buy today is set up your 
preferences. Set up your preferences. Pick your background color. I was talking to Brother Carr over at Calvary. I was talking to him the other week. I was trying to get the background color on my, my, my iPad with my eyes. I was trying to get a color. I, was, I said, how can, how can you help me here? And he pulls up this thing on my iPad and said, you can choose about 15 or 20 different background colors. I looked back at him and said, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. He's, I said, and shame on you. You knew it and didn't tell me. I said, I don't know. I don't know that. Our culture is about your preferences. That's everything you buy. You've got a preference. You can take out an extended warranty on a $5 mop now if you want to. You've got your preferences everywhere you go in life. And so people bring that mindset into the church. And we start selecting our preferences. And it don't work in the church. And people say, my church preference is this. I prefer this type of singing. I prefer this type of preaching. I prefer this to happen during worship gatherings. I prefer this. I prefer that. All of that has done been settled for us. Corporate worship has already come preset from the factory. It's in the Word of God. They that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. You have no right to change the background settings. In all things that he might have the preeminence. You have no right to run your group in and share in some of that glory. The preacher has no right to do any. It's already preset from the Word of God. And you and I are to adjust. And I submit to you only then can we really see Him in all His glory and all of His power. Biblical corporate worship for the whole church is more important than me and you being comfortable or having our preferences met. Corporate worship is taking the focus off self and putting it on God. Putting it on His Son, on the Holy Spirit, and on each other in the body of Christ. That's corporate worship. Thirdly and finally, God not only gathers us together that we become visible to ourselves and that we communicate God's wisdom to the heavenly realm, but thirdly, God gathers us to exalt and glorify Him. We gather here every Lord's Day to behold our glorious Creator and Redeemer. Just before I left home this morning, one of my preacher brethren that I dearly love, Brother, Brother Jonathan Thacker from up in the mountains of North Carolina, he's up there. I've already had snow flurries this past week. He's up in the mountains. He texted me this morning and said, Remember, preacher, he said, to glorify Him in all you do. I thanked Him. A reminder. I need it. We gather to exalt and glorify Him. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. I'm going to say it respectfully, but I want to say it. Over the 15 years that I've been your pastor, some of you have respectfully asked me, and I say that, you have respectfully asked me this question. Why we do not make a big deal out of certain national holidays or special days of the year. Calendar days, we would call them. And you ask me that respectfully. The answer is, we are gathered to exalt and glorify God. Not ourselves or anyone else. And sometimes these calendar events 
they can become the focal point of a worship service that is supposed to be to exalt and glorify God. That does not mean those events are not important, serious. It doesn't mean that those events should not be recognized. And sometimes those events are even biblical to a certain degree. But what it does mean is we must never allow anything to overshadow why we are gathered in the first place. And that is to exalt and glorify God. D.A. Carson, Canadian author and preacher and theologian, writes this, and I quote, Worship involves ascribing all honor and worth to our Creator God precisely because He is worthy. We have a lot of things on our calendar where men and women, it is, it is worthy to remember them, to honor them. We have many things that are worth all of that. And in their proper setting, I'm all for that. But I'm going to tell you this, when it comes to the Lord's Day, I haven't found anyone yet that deserves more attention than our Savior and our God. And I, I just can't. You say, preacher, what about last Sunday? We recognized you on Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Yes, we did. And we did it at the end of the service. I have pictures on my phone of Pastor Appreciation Sunday where church members were actually bowed down at the feet of their preacher. Here in North Carolina. You know what happened when they walked in in the book of Acts? You, you remember what happened when they walked in and done that to Peter? He said, get up. He said, worship God, not me and these apostles. These preachers don't do that because they love that. This is about God. First and foremost, it's about Him. We make announcements. We talk about things we have to because we're not assembled very often. We have to take care of our business. We do those things. There's nothing wrong with recognizing a Thanksgiving holiday, a Veterans Day, a Memorial Day, a Fourth of July, those things that, that are all dear to our hearts. We do that in, in, in a lot of different ways. What we must never do is allow any of those things to take our focus off of God and His preeminence. We, when we gather, it's about Him. In the Old Testament, God's people brought animal sacrifices required by the Old Covenant. They came together, and I'm just going to touch on this, Lord willing, I'm going to preach on this more, Lord willing, next Sunday. God's people brought animal sacrifices required by the Old Covenant, and they came together praising the Lord under the New Covenant. We don't bring animal sacrifices. We don't have an altar in this church. I know we call the front of the church the altar, but there is no altar in Christian churches. You understand the difference of what I'm talking about, hopefully. We no longer bring animal sacrifices, but Hebrews 13, 15, here's what we bring. By Him, meaning Jesus, therefore let us, meaning those of us saved, the church, those of us born again, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. This is speaking about the verbal praise of God's name. That's what we do when we gather. We exalt Him by verbally praising His name. You remember in Mark 14, you remember Mark records that story of the woman who we know is Mary, the, 
sister of Martha. You remember she came in and took that alabaster box of ointment, of spike. Do you remember that? And she broke it on the head of our Lord and the, and the aroma filled the house. You, you remember that? And you remember Judas was, they were just all been out of shape because that, that could have been spent to raise money or raise food for the poor, you know, and all that stuff. But you remember what Jesus said about that when she did that? He said in verse 8 of Mark 14, She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. And what Mary did in that situation was she invested all she had, she invested all she was in ascribing worth unto Jesus Christ. And church, that's why we assemble, is to do everything we have, invest everything we have in ascribing worth and value to our blessed Lord for what He's done for us on Calvary and who He is. And then Jesus said in verse 6 of that same chapter, She hath wrought a good work on me. He is pleased with that. Can Western Lord Baptist Church be a church committed to glorifying the Son of God? We don't bring in lambs and we don't bring in, it's harvest time. Our farmers don't bring in a tenth of their corn or soybean. We don't do that anymore under the new covenant. But what we do is we come in here with verbal praise and we say thank you Lord and we sing to His honor and glory and we say glory be to your name and praise the Lord and blessed be the name of the Lord. We give Him the verbal praise that He is worthy of that places value upon Him. Luke tells us in Acts 2.46 when the early church met, here's what they did. They broke bread from house to house. They ate meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And they did that from house to house because they didn't have a building like this where 3,000 could all gather at one time. But then he said, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church. The early church praised God and so should we. We should praise Him. He's worthy of our praise. And Lord willing, we're going to look at that next Sunday. What is biblical praise? Do we run the aisles? Do we shout to the top of our lungs? Do we lift our hands? Do we sit silently with our heads bowed and eyes closed? What do we do? Well, I think the Bible answers all of that. Lord willing, we're going to look at it and ask ourselves, are we a church that praises Him? There is nothing this morning on the face of the earth that remotely compares to God's people meeting together. I can't think of anything. There's nothing that compares to what we're doing here this morning. God has, by His own mercy and by His own grace, made us His people. By His own wisdom, He designed that we be the body, that our bodies be the temple of the Holy Spirit. He has, by His own design, created and commanded us to gather together and to worship Him. And when we meet by His own love for us, He works powerfully and wonderfully among us to build us up and to help us glorify His great name. It's a blessing to be a part of the church. Universally saved, be a part of the church, all of the churches that are saved by grace. But I want to tell you, it's a blessing to be a part of this local church. I will forever be a part of the church because I'm saved. I will not always be a part of this local church. I was not always a part, neither were you 
and none of us here will always be apart. Death will come or we'll do something, move or whatever, but you know, we may not always be a part of this local assembly, but brother, this is us this morning. We're here today. And however God put us together, He put us together. And there are no accidents with God. And I hope you can look around and see God's church made visible sitting right here this morning. I hope that you not only can see God's church made visible, but I hope as you look around this morning, you will also understand that as we gather God in His wisdom, it is communicating, the heavenly realms look in, and we, we are communicating back to them by our gathering this mysterious work of God that He's done in putting us together. And I hope this morning that you will agree with me and covenant with me that when we gather, our first priority is to exalt and glorify our God. And no matter what other things we may address and do and recognize or this or that, that all of that becomes secondary to glorifying and exalting our God. Father, I want to thank you this morning for your great grace and mercy. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all the benefits of being a child of God, of being a part of your church and a part of your family. I want to thank you again this morning for West Lenore Baptist Church. I want to thank you for what has been made visible to me this morning. Not only what I have seen, but thank you for the things that have been shared with me. There will be things shared with me after service. People will ask me to pray about things that I have no clues going on in their life. But because we are gathered, we're now able to pray one for another. And we're able to share in one another's burdens. Thank you, Lord, that in the days ahead, we'll once again be able to partake of the bread and the juice together as the body of Christ. And we'll be able to share in that when we gather. We thank you, Father, for the privilege to praise your name together. We've been able to sing together. And, and Lord, we've been able to think about the truth that's been sung and taught and preached this morning. We've been able to appreciate and love each other and care for each other. Now that we're about to part and go our separate ways for a few hours before we meet back this evening, Lord, I pray that as we're apart, that we would not forget the importance of our gathering. And I ask you to work these truths in our hearts for the glory and the honor of God. Lord, if it were not for your grace, I'd be scattered. I'd be lost. I wouldn't be here today. Although I was raised in church, Lord, if it was not for your saving grace, I would have stopped coming as soon as my mother and dad had quit making me come because I would not have belonged to you. But thank you for the new birth. And thank you for saving grace that made me a part of your family. And I pray for each one here this morning that's unsaved, who are coming to church because mom and dad bring them. And they're here out of responsibility. And they're here because they like a roof over their head and a place to sleep and eat. But, Lord, their heart is far from it. I pray for those today that, Lord, you would change the heart and you would birth them into your family. And for all of our folks who have identified with us in the past, who are away from us today, I pray for their souls. I pray for their needs, whatever the needs may be. Wherever we have failed them, help us to repent. Wherever we need to reach out, help us to reach out. Help us every time we come in here to look around and just see each other and remember each other, and pray for one another, and love each other, 
and exalt or exhort each other as we exalt Christ and build each other up in the faith. Help us to do that today. We need your grace to do it in a very selfish and a very preference-oriented society. God, we need your help to remain humble and to remain submissive as your people. We love you. Thank you for dying for the church, for raising again. And thank you for the promise that you're coming back after us one day. And we'll be with you forever and forever. For it's in your precious name we pray and ask these things. Amen.